from the coast of Lake Shamana. <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh, to the, the West Coast. <laughs> this is the Coast to Coast NBA podcast. I'm Chalanga. And I'm Dylan. Damn, what Chalanga, a ripping still start. still mispronounced it. Oh, Lake Shamana. Yeah, you have to say it the white way. All right. I don't know. I don't know. Ah, I redo. Don't know if there's a proper way to say From it. From the coast of Lake Shamana to the west coast. I'm Chalanga. And I'm Dylan. And this is the Coast to Coast NBA podcast. And we are getting better and better at this opening every time we do it. It's cool. Or maybe worse and worse. Uh, yeah, definitely worse and worse. But people don't listen to a podcast for, for the opener, they listen to podcasts for the meat, for what's inside, you know? For the intense editing. Yeah. All, Speaking of editing. All the intense editing. Speaking of editing, we meant to give one Timberwolf a fan boost and, and send him up. Um, he was originally ranked 21st, but because he is a fan favorite in our hearts and um, hopefully in your hearts too, we are bumping up Mr. Andrew Wiggins to the 18th slot, moving Chauncey yeah. Billups down to 19, Nikola Pekovic to 20, and Tyrone Corbin to 21. I think maybe it's arguable with Chauncey Billups since he had such a good playoffs with the Wolves in 2001-2002. I mean, I guess in a um, it, I think it was a three-game sweep, but <laughs> yeah. But still played played good basketball, 22 points, bunch of assists, blah blah blah. But Andrew Wiggins, we just decided to give him all three of the fan boosts that mm-hmm. he could possibly get being mm-hmm. in the range from 21 to 30. We decided to give him all the boosts that he could possibly get because he totally, totally deserved it. I think he like I think he really so long for us. Yeah, and he really exemplifies what it is to be a great Minnesota Timberwolf because such a good person. Oh, he's a great person. He had all the talent in the world, but he frustrated fans to no end, um, and you know ended up being pretty disastrous on the court even though he had all this potential which really embodies the Timberwolves as a franchise and I you know I just I think it wouldn't be right for him to be outside of the top 20 I I totally agree he was his peak impact was tied for 35th with guys like Levine and everyone from the 2003-2004 team because they all got three points as well one for each series that they played Mm -hmm. I think that that feels about right like Zach Levine's peak impact on the league is about the same as Andrew Wiggins in terms of their Timberwolves tenure just because of those dunk contests obviously in terms of overall impact he was 55th and I think he would have been lower as well he was another case like with Sam Mitchell where he was in the bottom 250 players or something like that he Mm -hmm. wasn't bottom he wasn't second to bottom because that was a player that we'll talk about right after Andrew Wiggins, fittingly enough. But uh, yeah, so he was uh, overall impact. His overall impact was ranked as 55th, but I kind of weighted his VORP as being a little bit at the bottom of our list of players, which was 103 players. So I just had him there and it averaged out to him being 55th. His tenure, though, was kind of what put him on the list to begin with, and that was fourth. Yep. So his total amount of points was 31. Does 18 feel too low for Andrew Wiggins in our hearts? I mean, maybe we're just millennials who only remember Andrew Wiggins because we think that Andrew Wiggins is a top 10 term move because we don't remember anyone who played before the year 2000. But Right. Because even, even though, like, I mean, we all loved watching Andrew Wiggins when he would dunk or almost dunk or you'd be watching and you'd be saying, why aren't you dunking? Uh <laughs> But 
he was pretty bad. Uh, and I, I think his advanced stats will, uh, to just how bad he was. His box plus minus and his, it was consistently negative. He did not, for one season with the Wolves, have a positive box plus minus. Um, he was always... What about this season? It, it wasn't positive? I thought it was close. No, it was close. It was negative 0.4. But his <laughs> his his offensive box plus minus was one point two, but his D box plus minus was negative one point five. So not great. Um no. always he, always been a terrible defender. Um his offensive peak was, you know, close to this year to his two his uh twenty uh what was it twenty sixteen, seventeen season? He had a that was probably his peak offensive season when he averaged twenty a game, um, twenty three point six per game. But uh, it was always really inefficient, um, even though it was sometimes flashy. His overall VORP was zero point zero. Maybe his uh, stuff wasn't weighted because he his VORP was actually zero. Anyway. That's just as good as if he had never played for us in the first place. <laughs> uh, so, Chilenka, I wanted to introduce a segment that I should have introduced before this. But now that we're getting into the really bad players, I want to introduce a segment called Duperlative Set Stats. Because we were duped by Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> he, uh, and instead of talking about his superlative stats like we have in the past. We've talked about all these advanced stats from these other players who were such great Timberwolves for us. I want to talk about the worst stats that I've found on Andrew Wiggins. So I use a minimum of 1,500 minutes, and the reason is because I wanted to limit it to 100 players because otherwise you get to another page, and then for some reason in Basketball Reference, if you search by different terms on the same or on that same page, it doesn't include then it, it, when you reorder it, it doesn't include any of the people on the second page. Anyway, that is just to say I limited it to 1,500 minutes. He had the third worst rebounding percentage and rebounding per minute amongst all centers, forwards, and guard-forward combos. Wow. And he's only ahead of Wesley Johnson and a man who might show up in this podcast at a later time, Corey Brewer. For someone with the, the athleticism and the length and just body that he has. It's really, really shocking how bad of a rebounder he is. He just has no feel for it. And he's pretty weak as <laughs> as far as uh, guard forwards go in this league. Yeah. And he's, well, he had the body of somebody who could have been a power forward in this league. And yet he couldn't rebound. And, and so we had to put him on the perimeter as yeah. a shooting guard. He's which has made him a worse defender than <laughs> yeah. he would have been originally. Like it's like he didn't try, but on top of that, we have him on the guy that he shouldn't be on. He should be on a power forward or a small forward. Yeah. But he yeah, it was he was a big, big mess. Yeah. I mean, offensively, him at the two guard really works because he's longer and taller than than anyone who will be defending him. And, you know, his mid range game is such that he can kind of shoot over the top. Um but but he can't shoot. Yeah, if he could shoot, if he could shoot, and then it puts the Timberwolves in a weird roster crunch because they have this big power forward, small forward type player that has to play the two, which makes you a Kogi have to slide up a position and guard small forwards. Which he's a good defender, but he's like six three, six four. You know, he's like not small forward size, so it's often a mismatch 
when he's guarding the best perimeter player, and it's it's just all he he caused a lot of problems for the Wolves. Absolutely, his true shooting percentage, just to get back to his shooting, was often hovering around fifty percent, which is atrocious. I mean, that's right around Stefan Marbury range. Yeah. I, he he was better in his year that he uh, in his sophomore and junior seasons. But then these last two seasons, he was just so bad until this season when he started to resemble maybe somebody who was an average NBA player, a fringe starter on a bad team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's another duperlative stat for you. He had the eighth lowest assist percentage with a minimum 20% usage rate and the seventh lowest VORP under the same amount of usage. minimum usage yeah so he was really bad and he was used so so much just because all of these head coaches had to believe in andrew wiggins the number one overall pick from 2000 was it 2014 yeah yikes yep and i mean he was the piece he was the prize piece that we got for kevin love and so he you know you he has to you have to believe in him um but you know he ended up being the piece that got us uh, one of the pieces that got us D'Angelo Russell. So, thank you. <laughs> you I will say to send first w- to get him. What? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just uh, forget about that. Um, I will say one note about Andrew Wiggins is that this year his percentage from two point uh, finally got to an efficient fifty percent. He was shooting fifty percent from the two point line. Whereas his highest before two point line from two point range, excuse me. Whereas before two point line, his uh, <laughs> his highest he did pre- shoot he did shoot most of his two point shots from just from outside of the, of the paint. Yeah, <laughs> from outside of the paint line, so it's a two point line. <laughs> um, yeah, he was confused the first five years of his career. He thought that a three point shot was if your heel <laughs> was on the three point line. But yeah, you had to be inside of that line yeah. to score three. Yeah, he was confused. <laughs> but I think that speaks to him finally canning some of those difficult mid-range shots and just uh, playing more efficient basketball. The problem is that he is only shooting and shooting less of those mid-range shots. That's yeah. what he did. Yeah, yeah. He just. I mean, there were the, there were games where he didn't shoot any, which was amazing. Um, but he's always been pretty bad from the line. Uh, this year he was shooting seventy percent from the line. The past two years he was shooting below seventy percent, which is uh, really bad for a perimeter player. <laughs> it's like yeah. you know, pr- uh, pretty low as far as league average. So, and he and he didn't get to the line. He didn't know how to draw fouls. No, like if he if he knew how to draw fouls, his his the way his body is, he would have been able to still get up shots and have tons of and one opportunities at the line. But he didn't know how to get to the line in the first place, so he was just a useless useless player. That brings me to he had the fifth lowest defensive box plus minus of any Timberwolf. And it had over twice as many minutes as anyone who was behind him. Oh, my or God. Like, who had a worse defensive box plus minus. <laughs> so I wanted to get to a comparison of Andrew Wiggins <laughs> because we've been comparing all these players. And I know we've seen Andrew Wiggins, so we don't need to have like a today's player that we compare him to, which is why I compared him to a Gabraithian dumpster fire. The uh, Gabraithian fire, as all Harry Potter fans would know, is a fire that lasts for eternity. It's a very difficult spell to master. But Andrew Wiggins has truly mastered it. Yeah, he is 
a fucking fire. Here's the other thing about the Andrew Wiggins Gabrathian dumpster fire. We left our engagement ring somewhere in there. So sometimes, as Timberwolves fans, we think it's still cool to go in and look for it. And yeah. we always get burned. I will, we will always get burned. I will root for Andrew Wiggins for the rest of his career. I want him to have a good career. I want him to go on and win a ring with the Warriors. Like I just, I want that for him because I love him so much. But I am so... I'm 100% torn on that. Because usually with players, I'm like... Like with Kevin Love and with Kevin Garnett, I was full on rooting for them. But with Andrew Wiggins... Because of the way the national media has treated Andrew Wiggins, and they were shitting on him and shitting on him and shitting on him when, when he was in Minnesota, and now that he's in the Bay Area, the entire national media decided to change their discourse on Andrew Wiggins and say, well, uh, he's actually pretty good. He's just misused in a, at a horrible franchise. So now like they're shitting on us, and I know that we are a horrible franchise. Of course we're a horrible franchise. We're one of the top three worst franchises in NBA history easily. But I still want to defend Gerson Rosas for that trade because it was genius. No one thought that we could get what we got for a top three protected first round pick, first of all. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't this year's. It was next year's. So we still can use our pick this year. I mean, not that this is going to be a great draft, but there's still like... The Danny of Deja guy, is that how you pronounce his name? He could be awesome. He could be awesome. Look, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too sidetracked. Let's move on to our next player, but bef- but before we go, I just want to say Andrew Wiggins, good luck out there. The national media can fuck off, but Andrew Wiggins, I love you even if you are a Gabrathian fire, which Dylan had to explain that joke to me. I didn't get it. I have not read. I, I read <laughs> Harry Potter. I read the third Harry Potter book one time. But that was one of the good ones. That's just. But you can't start in the middle. Harry Potter just ain't. It's just not for me. It's just that is a white person story. And like <laughs> white people, you can have your Harry Potter. I don't fuck with it. I don't fuck with that. I don't fuck with Star Wars. I don't fuck with Lord of the Rings. That's just not for me. All right, uh, we're going to move on to number 22. <laughs> we're going old school here with number 22. Hey, uh, don't yeah. shit on our white culture. <laughs> Chalanga, I just wanted to say at, oh, the, yeah, at yeah. the end of that, uh-huh. I am half rooting for Andrew Wiggins because of who he is, but because of how the media has completely flipped their, their decision on what Andrew Wiggins is as a player. Like, they were saying Andrew Wiggins was the worst player in the NBA because of his contract and blah, blah, blah. Everyone was saying, like, they couldn't, they, he was un- immovable. His contract was worse than Chris Paul's. None of that is true, first of all. But the fact that now they're on our side and they're saying, well, he has a lot of potential, makes me want to say, like, oh, I hope Andrew Wiggins is just what he is for the rest of his career, which is a guy who always shows his potential. But, uh, but, everybody gets burned i want bill simmons to get burned i want ryan rosillo to get burned especially ryan rosillo to get burned but uh at the same time somehow i'm still rooting for andrew wiggins to be a great nba player someday (laughs) does that make sense (laughs) yeah i get you i'm i'm in the same boat i like fuck bill simmons fuck ryan rosillo love you andrew you're amazing all right kevin o'connor chris vernon actually had a good take like he was the one who's calling kevin o'connor out on all that shit so thank you chris vernon chris vernon okay. is the only reasonable person employed by the ringer i'm just I'm, so he's true. he is the only one so that i true. ride with um <laughs> all right grit and grind baby let's get to the next one speaking of horrible horrible timberwolves players 
but played for a long time. Long time. Long time. And his numbers, his counting stats looked good for a stretch. But uh, when you dive in, you find out he's actually really, really rough out there. Uh, number 22, we're going to old school and original Wolf. We're going with Doug West. Doug West, ladies and gentlemen, I had to look him up, and I love him now. I'm all about Doug West. Doug West <laughs> is the original Andrew Wiggins, dog. Well, that was our comp. You just blew it. Oh, fuck. I blew my load too quick. All right. Uh, Doug West ranked uh, 46th at Peak Impact. So there was a huge group of players, probably about 10 players, that were tied at 46th for Peak Impact, um, including Josh Kogi, Isaiah Ryder, Jamal Crawford, um, to name a few. Uh, Only because those guys played in one playoff series. I don't know. Isaiah Ryder was because he was second team uh, all rookie, I think, for the Wolves. Or first team. I don't know which one. But uh, Doug West was uh, just on one playoff team. And I think it was our first playoffs as Timberwolves. Yeah. Right? Uh, Yeah. That was it. Yeah, he was. But he had been... He was relegated as such a minor player at that by that point. I don't know if he deserves a point for that. So his... His overall impact is the lowest on our list thus far at 57th. Um, but he played for the Wolves for nine seasons. And uh, so he is third ranked in tenure behind Sam Mitchell and Kevin Garnett, giving him a grand total of 30 points. So just reasons why he's on this list. He played nine seasons for the Wolves. He is third in games played, fourth in minutes played, Seventh all-time in points scored, seventh all-time in assists, and sixth all-time in steals. That sounds like a great player. Yeah. Why I don't mean, I remember him? I don't know. Well, I mean, you probably don't remember him because his peak seasons were between 1991 and 1995. So I uh, don't think you were watching very much basketball at that point, Dylan. I was watching Space Jam, Chalinga. Yeah, exactly. But he was a six-six shooting guard who could get up and dunk it. Um, he was in the 1992 slam dunk contest. Um, he got eliminated in the first round of that dunk contest. But he, His dunks were so bad. Yeah, yeah, his dunks were not great. You linked to that YouTube video of him in the dunk contest, and whoever was announcing it was trying to like hype it up, and they're like, we've seen so many great dunks that this might not look really great in comparison to those, but this is a really difficult dunk. Look at that. <laughs> He's doing a 180, and then he has to switch hands, and then he two-hand dunks it. Yeah. It's like, oh my god. But he was he was a really good in game dunker. He was he, he was, was a good in game dunker. Yeah, true. he was really great at it. But he looked like he wasn't even trying in the dunk contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know if he was a one hundred percent in. But I guess so. His peak season was the nineteen ninety two ninety three season. He averaged nineteen points per game, three point one rebounds, two point nine assists, and one point one steals per game on fifty one percent shooting. Um, however, that season the Wolves went. Uh, and won 19 games. So uh, they were not a good <laughs> team by any means. No. Um, so with his, his peak stretch from 91 to 95, uh, the Wolves went 65 and 328. So with him <laughs> as, as one of the best players, they uh, were a terrible, terrible team. Um, and his advanced stats will tell you that. Even though he was always averaging between 14 and 19 points per game, in that stretch he had... Negative zero point six VORP, negative two point two box plus minus, Um, and even though he was scoring a lot of points, at no point was he ever the best or even the second best player 
on a Wolves team. When he first joined the Wolves, he was behind the likes of Ty Corbin, Pooh Richardson, and Tony Campbell. Later on in his career, um, he was behind Christian Leitner and Michael Williams. And then, of course, KG came into the picture. And by that point, uh, you know, he was on the bench bench and he was playing, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a game. Uh, So because he was never higher than the third best player on a team and even when he was the third best player on the team the team was really terrible he uh he was the first bad player on that yeah nine, on those christian leitner michael williams teams y- yes he was yes he was what we've learned from this list is scoring a lot of points on a bad team doesn't do anything for you you have to be contributing to winning to to sorry andrew sorry doug yep sorry doug um so like i said our comparison is like an early andrew wiggins uh, he's a little smaller. He's 6'6", 200 pounds, but he has that athleticism um, and a mid-range shot off the dribble, um, that really inefficient offense, just like Andrew Wiggins. Uh, I think he would have shot more three-pointers like Andrew Wiggins did this year uh, if he were in the league today, obviously. like He had range. In, in that highlight video that you showed me, or that you looked up, mm-hmm. he was he had a half court shot, half court like buzzer beater. Yep. He had a couple three pointers, and the uh, announcer in one of the games was like, "Look at the range! Was that a three? <laughs> that was just a long deuce." That was a quote from <laughs> direct quote from the highlights. So according to NBA culture back then, he had a lot of range, right? And uh, so maybe he would have worked on that a little bit more and he would have been more of a direct Andrew Wiggins correlation. But yeah, he, he could really run. He was like an Andrew Wiggins. If Andrew Wiggins always gave effort, like he did give effort, but he was just a defensive sieve. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Yes, he was. Andrew on the other hand is not a sieve. He just didn't try hard enough. Yeah. He had it all there, but he just never put it all together. Um, so that's Doug West, uh, a player that I, I I didn't know once again, and I got to do a little deep dive on and watch some uh, some YouTube, and it was awesome. Dylan, you got next. This is how bad the Timberwolves are. He is the third most tenured Timberwolf, and we didn't know who he was. Yikes. Okay, so at number 23, a player that I have heard of, not because of his time on the Timberwolves, though, Terry Porter. Woo! His peak impact was 20th. He barely started on the Timberwolves, and his peak impact was 20th. His overall impact was 17th, and his tenure was 23rd. So he was getting points in each of the categories that we set up. We had to drop his overall impact because that was the least amount of points that he got. Or wait, uh, no, we dropped his tenure because that was the lowest score he got. Sorry about that. And his overall points that he got, 28.5. Not bad, Terry. He played every game for three seasons. Super healthy. He stepped up very big in the second Michael Williams injury season. Uh, Michael Williams got hurt in like 90, what was it, 94, 95, it and was Winston Garland came in. 95, 90, think, oh yeah, okay, yep, yep, yep. And he came in in 95, 96, Terry uh-huh. Porter did, and he was awesome. That was his peak season because he just got the most minutes, right? Mm-hmm. He was the third best player in the late in, in the Leitner trade season where Leitner played 44 games, four, tied for fourth in win shares with Leitner, tied for third in value over replacement player with Leitner, and fourth in box plus minus. That was in his first season with the Timberwolves. Yep, yep. He was the veteran point guard 
backup to Stefan Marbury after that, but he, he probably should have started Chilenga. We were a playoff team. Why didn't we start the guy who had played in the NBA Finals? Went to six games with the Bulls. Right, and then have, you know, the dynamic scoring Stefan Marbury just kind of do his thing off the bench. I think that would have been... Yeah. But, I, I you know, from... A from Jamal Crawford firecracker type. From what I know about Stefan Marbury is that he was not an easy personality to manage, so we have right. to take that into right. consideration. He wouldn't have come off the bench. No, no chance at all. But yeah, so he was the a part of the first two T-Wolves playoff teams, and he was the most important player off the bench for both of those seasons. So here's why he is above Stefan Marbury. I think a lot of people, a lot of Timberwolves fans, especially the fans who started becoming fans in the in this century because they didn't see the Stefan Marbury debacle mm-hmm. of the 90s. They maybe saw him as a Nick and were like, oh man, why didn't the Wolves keep him? But he played more games, more minutes. He ranks 23rd in tenure to Marbury's 39. And he was an actual positive force on the court. I mean, Terry Porter was a two-time All-Star before he was a Timberwolf. Mm-hmm. He really knew how to play the game well. He had, he had an awesome awesome mind he always cleaned shit up for the other players on the court for Clyde Drexler that Clyde Drexler team he was the cleanup for Clyde I mean he was the Kyle Lowry to uh Clyde's DeMar DeRozan in the equivalent of that those Eastern Conference Finals Raptors teams you know and that's our comp for him he was Kyle Lowry but he was bigger he was 6'3 and he was a super super flashy passer with those Blazers teams. I mean, he would go between his legs to Drexler, and obviously Drexler had so much style. So I think it kind of rubbed off on they They rubbed off on each other. I didn't mean to say it that. I'm so sorry for saying that Dude. to all of our audience. Yes, <laughs> They Dylan. love rubbing off on they each just other. All, after the game, they would go back <laughs> to the locker room, they would get in the shower, and they would just rubbing off on each other for hours. And the media would be waiting for an interview. And, you hey, know, f- I'm standing. <laughs> I'm standing all gay re- NBA relationships. I want Carl and D'Lo to come out. I want them to hold hands after the game. I want all of this to happen. But anyway, so told in total from 95-96 to 97-98, he was tied for or he was fourth in win shares behind KG Thomas Gugliotta and Donovan Mitchell. I'm Do- just kidding. Sam Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh he was third in Vorp behind KG and Goog. And he was third in box plus minus behind uh, KG and Googs. So, 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 uh, or, so essentially, all three seasons that Terry Porter played, his efficiency was third or fourth on the team. And yet, he was playing like the six most minutes. Yeah. So, so that just shows you. We saw this awesome highlight video. By the way, I I want everyone to look this up because uh, is it the VioShock ones? I don't know. We had a lot of VioShock highlight videos, but this one specifically had Anno Domini beats on the soundtrack, and it's it was Moby, it was smooth, it completely <laughs> complemented his game because he was so smooth and just so smart, and he would always be there for the putbacks, which was awesome. He like he played like a power forward, just like Kyle Lowry, but in this smaller body, and he would and he would always be by the basket when when he needed to clean stuff up, or Clyde would miss a shot, and it was cleaned up by whoever the center was at the time, and he would pass it out to. Uh, Terry Porter and Terry Porter would hit would knock down the three like he was he 
he batted cleanup for those Blazers teams. And I didn't see a lot of highlights from the Timberwolves in that highlight video, but I'm sure he did the exact same thing for Marbury. He kind of batted cleanup for Marbury. Hey, Marbury's screwing up. Let's let's bring in Terry Porter and right the ship a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I love Terry Porter. I liked getting to watch him and uh, kind of learn about his game. Uh, I'm going to move on to number 24. And I think I think this is a player that a lot of fans maybe would be like, why isn't he ranked higher? They've been wondering where he's been on this list. Um, and this is probably the most memorable player from our inaugural season. And that's Tony motherfucking Campbell. Uh, his uh, peak impact was ranked 24th. His overall impact was ranked 18th, tied with Jimmy Butler, and his tenure is ranked 17th. So he's pretty high up on a lot of these rankings, but because he never made the playoffs or had any awards or accolades with the Wolves, he kind of fell down the list a few notches. And I think kind of the the question is, why did Pooh Richardson and Ty Corbin end up higher on this list than Tony Campbell when... Like when you think about those inaugural Timberwolves, Tony Campbell is kind of the first. Like I knew who t- Tony Campbell was, I didn't know who Ty Corbin was. Um, so I was opposite though. Oh really? On the other hand, I I knew Pooh Richardson and Ty and Ty Corbin, but Tony Campbell was, and maybe it was just be, maybe I had heard Tony Campbell's name more, mm-hmm. but it, I I just didn't I didn't associate it as fast because like his name's a little bit more normal. Yeah. Tony Campbell versus Ty Corbin, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I had definitely heard of Ty Corbin, and I had not heard of Tony Campbell. So I guess really the only season that it could be argued that he was the best player on the team was the inaugural season. So he led the team in scoring at uh, 23.2 points per game. He had five and a half assist, uh, rebounds per game, 2.6 assists, uh, 1.4 steals per game, but he did turn the ball over three times a game. Um, <laughs> if, so he, uh, he was not super uh, tight with the, with the ball there. If you want to compare that to Ty Corbin and Pooh Richardson in, the, in this season, Ty scored 14.7 points per game, led the team in rebounds at 7.4, and <laughs> Pooh Richardson... Once again, that shooting guard leading the team in rebounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pooh Richardson uh, scored 11.4 points per game and dished out 6.8 assists. So they were all contributing in their own way. Uh, Ty Corbin was definitely kind of the defensive maestro on the perimeter. So if we look at their advanced stats, Tony Campbell's BPM in this season was 0.3. Uh, compared to Ty Corbin's 0.9 and Pooh Richardson's 1.4. If we want to look at defense, Tony Campbell was pretty bad. He had a negative 1.3 defensive box plus minus, um, which would mean offensively he was very good because his box plus minus is positive. So he you know, uh, made up for some of his defensive uh, woes with uh, a lot of scoring the ball. Um, but that negative 1.3 defensive box plus minus is compared to Tyrone Corbin's 1.0 uh, box uh, defensive box plus minus and Pooh Richardson's 0.4. Then we look at value over replacement player. Tony Campbell's at a 1.8. Ty and Pooh are tied at 2.2. And Tyrone Corbin actually led the team in win shares that year at 6.8, which is uh, significantly more than Tony Campbell's 5.3. So I would probably say Tony Campbell may have been the best player on that team but his defensive flaws really were uh, you know cause an issue for the Wolves. Tony Campbell in that initial in that inaugural season was the best scorer on an offense that ranked um 23rd 
or 24th in the league. At that time, there were 27 teams, so that was fourth worst in the league. Um, whereas Ty Corbin, who was the best defender on the Wolves, uh, which had a 15th ranked defense, so a little bit more middle of the pack. And then Ty Corbin was also the second best scorer on that team. So it can be argued that maybe Ty Corbin was better than Tony Campbell at that point, but it's kind of like splitting hairs. I just want to say something about that team. It was so interesting because the center on that team was Todd Murphy, who was a 6'9 center. And back then, those centers, so like he played those three seasons and he was their mm-hmm. starting center for, I mean, for that uh, just that first season. But he was so small. So he was starting at center. Ty Corbin was at, well, I don't know if he was at small forward or shooting guard. But then you have Tony Campbell, who was basically playing power forward in terms of his offense because he played out of the post. And then you have Pooh Richardson playing point guard. I mean, that, that team is so, so, so small. Yep. So I'm wondering if that played into some of the defensive woes. But at the same time, it's so interesting because they were, while they were small, they really couldn't shoot. So they were trying to go small ball without any of the elements of small ball that we see today. Right. I mean, none, none of the shooting whatsoever. But what what resulted is that they just had no inside scoring game, and teams would abuse that. Um, so what they did is they slowed down the pace a ton. They played with the slowest pace in the league, and they tried to just not get outscored. Like, they just tried to to play as good of defense as they could and keep the score low so that it was always as close of a game as possible. Unfortunately, they didn't. They just didn't have the talent to win a lot of games. <laughs> so, in in the nineteen ninety ninety one season, the second season of the Wolves, Tony Campbell really took a dip. He was scoring less per game, uh, uh, less efficient. His effective field goal percentage went from forty six to forty three point nine. Box plus minus went to negative zero point two. His defensive box plus minus got very slightly better, but still negative 1.2. Tyrone Corbin and Pooh Richardson both got better in those seasons. Pooh Richardson took a huge jump to 17.1 points per game, nine assists per game, and a big jump in win shares, leading the the team in win shares that year at 5.9. Tyrone Corbin was second in win shares at 5.4, and Tony Campbell was down at 3.7. At this point, it's pretty clear that Tony Campbell is no longer the best player on this team. He is second or maybe even third behind Pooh and Tyrone. Then in his third season with the Wolves, he only started half the games. Pooh Richardson became unarguably the best player on the team, um, besting Campbell in box plus minus, win shares, value over replacement player, uh, and assists, while matching him in rebounds per game and points per game, um, and starting every game. However, Tony Campbell was relegated to the side. The Wolves had one of their worst seasons, winning only 15 games. But that's not necessarily because Tony Campbell wasn't playing. I think it just became clear that even though he could put the ball in the basket, he was really inefficient and he did not lead to winning. And so after that season, he he left the Wolves. I mean, we had no front court at that point in yeah. 91-92. There was really nothing. Um, so yeah, I, at, at no point was he really clearly the best player on the Wolves. And oftentimes I think he was second or third best. So that's why he fell this far on the list. I will say though that in our research, we found that, you know, it seemed like Tony Campbell was kind of a most improved player snub. Absolutely. So, so before he came to the Wolves, he had only started four games in his career and scored 6.4 points per game, 2.1 rebounds, and 0.6 assists per game. Then he comes to the Wolves, and in his first season with the Wolves, is at 23.2, 5.5 assi- rebounds, 2.6 assists. 
That's a huge, huge jump. Um, and that year, Ronnie Sakely run won it. I don't even know who that is uh, on an eighteen win uh, win Heat team. Um, he was a center for the Heat in their first two seasons, uh, and he was some Euro guy. And he bumped his stats up from like seven points a game to sixteen points a game, but like nothing even close to the difference that Tony had. Uh, I I just wonder if it's because it was a it was a expansion team and like. Everyone, well, of course, you know, he's going to well, get... Well, the Heat, the Heat were an expansion team. I mean, it wasn't the first Heat season. I think it was the second Heat season. Okay. Um, But the Heat were also an expansion team. So it was just kind of... And, and they won less games, so it doesn't make any sense, yeah, right? it doesn't make any sense. But... So that's my that's my deep dive on Tony Campbell. It's kind of fun to watch him play. He's kind of a, a mid range bomber. Um, can pass. You know, he's kind of a bigger body, and can set screen could set screens for Pooh Richardson. I mean, he was six seven, two hundred fifteen pounds. So he was you know not small. I initially compared him to kind of like Andrew Wiggins without the elite elite athleticism because he wasn't really a dunker and he didn't really play above the rim. Um, but actually, Dylan had a great comparison in comparing him to late stage Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I so at first I was with you on Andrew cuz like at the beginning of Andrew's career he was posting up a lot and maybe Andrew would have been like him if he had played in 90 in in the early 90s just because he would have been posting up a lot and I I don't know, I've never seen Andrew set a pick, but uh the person that I thought was maybe a little bit more like that cuz he always operated out of the post was Carmelo Anthony in 2016 2017 Carmelo was not leading the league, but in terms of forward guard combos, he was way up there and, and he could find a shot, but at the same time he could get to the basket and he could, uh, and and he could play with his back to the basket and get close in. And he would set picks if he had to, he knew how to play the game, you know, like even on the, uh, on Portland, you're seeing him set picks. He could grab some boards. I think he was a little bit better than Andrew Wiggins in terms of that kind of thing, in terms of cleaning up the boards. Uh, which is why I thought maybe more of a Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I love that. I love that. You linked us to this Tony Campbell highlight reel, or it was just one game with him against the Bulls in 1990. Uh, I think it was his second season, but he lit up Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan looked like he looked like he didn't know how to play defense, and they had to put Scottie Pippen on him later in the game, which was noted by the announcer. MJ kind of just like looked lackadaisical there were times where he would just like not go out to defend tony campbell like he did not respect tony at all but at the same time they uh phil decided to switch scotty onto him and when jordan was on him later in the game uh they brought second defenders to to come at tony campbell so that's how well tony campbell was respected in his first couple years with the with the timberwolves eventually like teams were starting to put put two guys on him well even the bulls when it comes to like two of the best defenders of all time they were putting two defenders on him well i imagine that michael jordan didn't like wake up like oh time to go give it all against this expansion team (laughs) Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) and but uh, they only won by five yeah yeah but you know i i also think that you know if there's one legitimate scoring threat on a team no matter how good you are they are you're just gonna you're gonna double them because if if Tony Campbell's the only person that can put the ball in the basket at that level, like shut him down and make anybody else beat you. But clearly he I was, get it, he but was they having didn't a hot, shut him down. Yeah, he was having a hot game that game, which was <laughs> dope, but the Wolves still lost. 
We're going to move on to number 25. Um, this is where we begin to see on our list kind of the carousel of centers that played with KG um, between 95 and like 2002. They all make it onto this list, but the highest rated one of, of the KG centers is number 25, Dean Garrett. His uh, peak impact is tied for 15th with Christian Leitner and Ricky Rubio. That's His insane. overall impact is at 26. I know, isn't that wild? Uh, he is the he is an advanced stats darling. He they love him. He was really solid defensively. Um, his tenure is at 29th, and he has a total of 24 points. So at this point, we took a pretty big dip. Tony Campbell was at 28.5, and now we're at 24 points. So Dean Garrett came to the Wolves in 1996. Um, and played the 1996-97 season, starting almost half of the games at center. He was 30 years old at this point. He had been playing abroad, I believe, in the Italian league uh, for for several years before he came over to the league. Um, so we got this 30-year-old starting center. During the season, he played the six most minutes on the team. He was third in win shares, third in value over replacement player, third in box plus minus, second specifically in defensive box plus minus, and first in both defensive and offensive rating. And then Dylan, I see you add, led the league in turnover percentage. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was bold on his basketball reference. Oh, I was shit. like, whoa, there shouldn't be a bold other than an 82 that's bold yeah. on, his, on his stats. But he led the league in turnover percentage that year. So, yeah, he played an incredibly, incredibly efficient season and uh, ended up being the starting center by the end of the year. Went to the playoffs as a starting center and averaged 12.7 points per game and 11.7 rebounds per game. The Wolves were swept in that series, so they, they were eliminated immediately. But but he became a really important part of the rotation and his advanced stats like really were were darling then he left the team for a year and played with denver uh, and then he came back and he finished out his season or his career with the wolves so i guess he played five games for golden state at the end of his career but he played four seasons with the wolves and in the lockout season which was the second best season the 98 99 season he was fourth in minutes played fourth in win shares, seventh in uh, box plus minus, eighth in value over replacement player, third in defensive box plus minus, second in defensive rating, and once again, first in offensive rating. Um, So it looks like when he was out there, the team was playing really efficiently. He wasn't turning the ball over. He wasn't making mistakes. He was was playing really solid defense and helping the team win a lot of games and kind of helped shepherd the Wolves uh, into the playoffs as a really solid defensive center. An interesting thing about his first season was that he was playing like pretty traditional center for the Timberwolves. He was shooting 50% of his field goals from zero to three feet. So he was always in the middle. And that is such a bad spot for him to be on the floor with Kevin Garnett. Yeah. And this is kind of the travesty of the Timberwolves in in this era, was is that Kevin Garnett was forced to play small forward much too often because of the way that the players around him played and the way that they clogged the lanes. But when he went to Denver, and I think that's why we got rid of him in that se- after that season. I, I don't know exactly why he left, but that's what my hypothesis is. Because when he went to Denver, he only shot 28.5% of his field goals within three feet. So that might be possibly why the Wolves brought him back. 
because he started to learn to step out a little bit. He went from 2% of his shots from 16 feet to three-point range to 14.3% of his shots being from 16 feet to three points. Sorry, I don't know where my brain's at. But he spread the floor a little bit more, and I think that might have brought in more of an opportunity for him to come back and play with the Timberwolves because him, Tom Gugliotta, and Kevin Garnett is just such a bad fit. It's just such a horrible, horrible fit. Uh, once again, that was the story of the late 90s, early 2000s with good old Flip. Right, right. So, yeah, he was a significant member of the uh, of the Wolves' first playoff runs. He played four playoffs with the Wolves, um, and he actually assumed the starting center role in three out of those four series. Um which is interesting is that he, he you know he showed some some real veteran like presence and leadership because those were his 33, 34 and 35 year old seasons. Older player, we compared him to like a Roy Hibbert type, uh you know, a, a shot blocker in the paint, scores all his ba- uh, his shots at the rim. Um but he's smaller. He's only about 6'10 compared to Roy Hibbert's 7'2 presence. So, wow. Yeah. And he just kind of had a little blip on the league just like Roy a smaller blip, but as far as like <laughs> how good he was, but yeah. yeah, just a little blip. And this leads us right into another member of the carousel of centers with KG. Dylan, why don't you take it away? At number 26, I've talked about him before on this podcast as one of my favorite Timberwolves, only because he was the starting center for the Timberwolves in both of my NBA Live 2001 and 2002. KG was on that cover, and that's why I got NBA Live 2001. This man's name is Radoslav Nesterovich. Rasho! Rasho, baby! His peak impact was tied for 31st with Gary Trent. His overall impact was also 31st. But his tenure was 14th. He played a lot of games. He was in a lot of playoffs with the Wolves. So he ended up with 23 points, one point less than Dean Garrett. And he actually was ahead of Dean Garrett for a a slight, slight bit. Uh, But I ended up figuring out that a Gorgie season didn't count. And so then that ended up switching the the rankings a little bit, dropped uh, Rosho down one and, and brought Dean Garrett up one. But anyway, so he was a part of Rosho, was a part of four Timberwolves playoff teams. He was a starting center in 2002 and 2003. He also started 55 games for the Wolves in 99-2000, where he was sharing the load with Joe Smith and Dean Garrett. What a crowded front court. You don't need that many centers with Kevin Garnett on your <laughs> roster. Flip, it, it what was were a you different, thinking? I it love was a you. different NBA, Dylan. It doesn't matter how different that NBA is. It doesn't take a super genius to realize a seven-foot guy does not need three other centers on playing regular minutes on the team. He leads the Wolves, Rosho, in playoff center minutes with 465. He didn't play his best seasons as a Wolf because his peak seasons began the year after he was let go when he decided to sign a contract, a very lucrative contract, with the San Antonio Spurs. But he was on the team for a while, on the Timberwolves for a very long time, and that's kind of all you need when you're the 26th best Timberwolf. Our comp for him is Gorgie Jang. I think this was my comp, right? Yeah, baby. His back was never to the basket. He wasn't like a he wasn't a post up type of guy. 
He is super heavy, and he's very comfortable from the mid-range. Just like Gorgie, you just kind of pass it to him, and you know he's going to nail that shot from the, th- from the free throw line, you know? And that was, that was Rosho. I mean, he was a little bit more split out wide a little bit more often. But Chalenga, I don't know why we let him go to San Antonio, because he was the stretch five of the early 2000s. Right. San Antonio gave him six years, $42 million. Now, that might seem like a lot of money, and it was a lot of money for a guy who hadn't played that great in the NBA thus far. I mean, he's a young center, so there was room for improvement. But, Chalinga, we paid Michael Olawakandi and Irvin Johnson a combined $9 million, and they played less minutes than Rosho, who made $7 million a year in that 2003-2004 season. Right. So in that 2003-2004 season... Michael Olawakandi and Irvin Johnson played a combined 1,900 minutes, and Rosho played 2,300 for a San Antonio Spurs team that almost beat the Lakers to make it to the to that finals, where they possibly could have even won that year. I mean, just imagine if we had Rosho Nesterovich and Chauncey Billups on that 2003-2004 Wolves team. It's over, baby, right? Not getting rid of... Phillips or getting rid of Rasho and having yes. both of them. I'm talking about all these terrible moves that we yeah, made yeah, just yeah, to yeah. try to save money yeah. or just to whatever. Right. Because because that's when Chauncey started to get real good. And those guys wanted to stay. Yeah. Plainly idiotic. Rasho Nesterovich was great next to Tim Duncan, and he would have been just as good, maybe better, next to Kevin Garnett. And they ended up winning the title in 2005 because of it. He replaced... David Robinson, after he retired at the end of 2003, and and he helped them win that championship. Yeah, uh, he was a very important cog in that in that team. So, I am just disappointed. Irvin Johnson and Michael Oluwakandi just all they do is clog the lane for for Kevin Garnett, and I just can't imagine how much better the Wolves would have been with a KG drive and kick to Rasha Nesterovich. Yeah, it would have been really nice. <laughs> It would have been really nice. If KG had a stretch five on his team, he would have been Giannis Antetokounmpo today. Who could stretch the floor more than Giannis, probably? Yeah, we both think that if if KG had put the work in to shoot threes, he could be really, really good. Um, uh, He shot like high 40s percent between 16 and 30 uh, and three point line, 16 feet and the three point line um, throughout his career. So. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's much no, better than Giannis. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, he could have done that had he come into the league at a different time. All right, that's Rasho and Dean Garrett. Pretty close um, in in importance and significance. They kind of played the uh, comparable roles in uh, KG's early years. Uh, number twenty-seven is a player who initially barely made our list, and we decided that that wasn't right, so we gave them a. Straight to the rim in our Starbury. That's right, because it's Stefan Marbury, motherfuckers. Uh, so Stefan Marbury ranks 23rd in peak impact, tied for 23rd in overall impact with none other than Joe Smith, and uh, 39th in tenure. Uh, he played <laughs> one of those other carousel center guys. Yeah, he played uh, two full seasons with the Wolves and then got traded in the uh, middle of the lockout season. So he was drafted by the Wolves in 96. He made the all-rookie first team his uh, first season with the Wolves. Um, Unfortunately, 
after his second season, he felt frustrated being sort of the second fiddle to Kevin Garnett. He wanted to have his own team. He wanted a bigger market. He wanted to be able to be like, I'm the best player on the team. It's my team, blah, blah, blah. Which is totally different from today. Today, players are like, trade me to a team that can win. Like, I'm tired of being the only guy. Um, But back then, there was just like generally less money. So if you were really good, it was kind of important for you to be in a big market and like being the guy in a big market that was really good for you financially so it's like it's just it's just a little bit different quit defending him he was he was a total ass he was an ass um so (laughs) marbury scored a lot of points he put the ball in the basket and he dished out a lot of assists the wolves went 85 and 79 with marbury and kg which is above 500 yes but it's not amazing, especially for the talent that was on that team. You know, they had Kukuyata, they had Marbury, they had KG. I mean, they had a lot of uh, really good talent, and I think that they should have been better. And I think, you know, looking into Stefan Marbury's advanced stats tells a little bit of a different story. So in his rookie season, he was fourth in win shares, box plus minus, and value over replacement player. And in his second season, he was third in win shares and then fourth in box plus minus and VORP. So he was never even close to the second best player. On yeah, the rules even though he was advertised as it was like KG and Marbury, but it was really KG and Gugliata. They were they were the tandem. And then Stefan Marbury was there. You know, he dished out the assists to the open guys, blah, blah, blah. But he was a really efficient, <laughs> off- inefficient offensive player. He only shot 40, 44 percent from two. His overall field goal percentage in his in uh, from ninety six to ninety eight was forty one percent. Forty one percent. Oh, that's Shabazz Muhammad territory. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty pretty bad. Um, so he was the third. I, I categorized him as the third best player because it was behind KG and Gugliata who were starting every game. Dean Garrett actually had much better advanced stats than Stefan Marbury. Dean Garrett paid, played 1,600 minutes to Stefan Marbury's 2,300. So there is a significant minutes disparity, but Stefan Marbury still wasn't efficient in the minutes that he played. Um, and then we talked about Terry Porter who came in and was like the veteran presence that a rookie or a young point guard needs and really outplayed Stefan Marbury in a lot of ways. He w- he outranked Stefan Marbury <laughs> a lot. in box plus minus by 2.5, by value over replacement by 0.5. And Stefan Marbury did have more win shares, but only by like 0.1 win share. So <laughs> as far as like their, how much they contributed to winning, there were essentially the same terry porter just did it much more efficiently but even that season so this is 1997-98 gugliata got traded after half the season he had a much better first half of the season than marbury had marbury did play the best season so he was maybe the best player on that team um no, advanced stats wise he was maybe the second best player. second best player is what i meant second best obviously kg was the best he was maybe <laughs> the second best player on that team we, he is so good that we disregard him as a Timberwolf because he's just better than than what a Timberwolf is. Yeah, it's like it's like he might as well have like not even be there because it's just like everyone else is so bad that it doesn't even <laughs> it doesn't even matter. So he is the first bad player on that on that team for half a season. Yeah, and so like you know during that that ninety seven ninety eight season, Anthony Peeler, Terry Porter were all uh, outranking 
uh, Stefan Marbury in the advanced stats metrics. Um, even Sam Mitchell had more win shares than Stefan Marbury that season. Uh, so, you know, he was never really as good at, with the Wolves as he thought he was. Dylan, I think that you, you, he made our cutoff for our depurlative stats, didn't he? Yep. So because Stefan Marbury was so bad as a Timberwolf, I wanted to reintroduce the depurlative stats segment. And I also have an assignment for you. I think that we should look at Terry Porter's per 36 in comparison to Stefan Marbury's because I just I'm on <laughs> I want to see how much better Terry Porter would have been if he were our starting point guard. <laughs> Amongst all Wolves of all time, Stefan Marbury leads the Wolves in playoff turnovers per game. Tied with Kevin Garnett, unfortunately, but still pretty bad. He was tied for third in regular season turnovers per game behind oh, Chalenga. I guess he doesn't count because he didn't play enough games, but D'Angelo Russell. Yikes. And then Leitner and then Gugliata. So he's, I guess, tied for second because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not count D'Lo because D'Lo uh, only played like 20 games for us. He was 17th lowest ever in effective field goal percentage. He was 31st lowest in true shooting percentage. Again, all of this is with a minimum of 1,500 minutes now. He was seventh lowest in defensive box plus minus. He was second lowest in playoff defensive box plus minus in a minimum of 50 games played I decided to have. He was ahead of Gary Trent. That's it. He was third lowest in playoff win shares per 48 behind Michael Olawakandi and Gary Trent. Interestingly enough, in playoff win, win shares per 48 minutes, Michael Williams leads that stat. So another good reason to have Michael Williams ahead of Stefan Marbury. He was fifth worst free throw shooting guard amongst all Timberwolves who shot at least 200 attempts. And he attempted over twice the amount of free throws as any player ahead of him other than Pooh Richardson who shot 61% on 450 takes. I think... I think uh, Stefan Marbury, on the other hand, had around 800 takes. Wow. So, yeah, he was a pretty big dupe. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you look up his per 36 in comparison to Terry Porter? Oh, yeah. While I you did, were baby. <laughs> so, his per 36 numbers. So, I just want to point out, first of all, Chalenga went through a full P session while I was <laughs> going through these stats. I hope everyone heard that over my headphones a little bit. But that's how many bad stats Stefan Marbury had. Chalenga <laughs> took a pee break. <laughs> All right. I didn't know if you'd Continue. notice or not. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. So w- when we look at counting stats, Stefan Marbury's per 36 to Terry Porter's is 16.8 to 15.7 points per game. Uh, points per 36, excuse me. Uh, 8.1 assists to 5.5 assists per 36 and then stefan has 2.7 rebounds to terry porter's 3.4 rebounds so stefan marbury looks like he's you know maybe better there but then we look at the uh shooting percentages uh stefan marbury is at uh 41 and a half percent uh terry porter is at 44.9 percent so 45 percent overall terry porter is at 39.5% 39.5% from three to Stefan Marbury's 31% from three. And uh, even in the two-point uh, range, Stefan Marbury's at 44.8 and Terry Porter's at 48.5. Uh, 
Uh, so Bless. better in just about every way. And then we look at free throw. Stefan Marbury, 73%. Terry Porter, 85%. So <laughs> Terry Porter, just incredibly more efficient than Stefan Marbury. A point guard, like, I don't know if Stefan Marbury would have been good today even. Just because a point guard that shoots 73% from the free throw line yeah. just can't exist. He can't shoot threes, and a point guard that can't shoot threes today is not a good point guard. I mean, he would be yeah. Uh, who, who Frank Nidlikina today. Oh, no, he can't play defense. So no, I don't he even sh- know who he'd he be. he shot a lot. He'd be Dennis Smith Jr. That's who he'd be. <laughs> he'd be Dennis Smith Jr. He shot four threes a game, which was... Uh, probably a lot in terms of 1998 numbers. But, Chalinka, my, my question is, Stefan Marbury is on our 2K team, but he is not on the Coast to Coast all-time team. No, he's uh, not. I think Michael Williams is ahead of him. Yeah. Why would 2K put him on the team? He pushed his way out, and he was horrible on the Wolves. He didn't want to be on the Timberwolves. Why should he be on the 2K team? Because, Dylan, he is, unfortunately, probably the second biggest star to play for the Minnesota Timberwolves. KG is obviously the biggest star. I, I don't think so. Stefan Marbury, the, the Starburys were super, super popular. I, <sighs> I I don't know. I don't know. Carl Anthony Towns might no, be... No, no, might, true. It might be more popular. Might be. But Stefan Marbury was huge. And he might be a top 10 most exciting Timberwolf, to bring it back to that. Yeah, he was ex- <laughs> he was exciting to watch. He was just inefficient. And this list does not value inefficiencies. So if we want to compare Stefan Marbury to someone, I think originally we kind of compared him to Kyrie Irving without the advanced stats because he's a dribbler and uh, the offense is kind of centered around him. But honestly, I kind of like this Dennis Smith Jr. comparison more. <laughs> Just he Absolutely. obviously had a had a better had a much better career than Dennis Smith Jr. at this point. Who knows? You know, I I still have a little bit of faith in Dennis Smith Jr. But as far as like their game and their stats, pretty comparable. Dennis Smith Jr., Kyrie, and Stefan have something all in common: is that all of the NBA players think he's amazing. Yeah, you know, and whether or not he actually is on the court. They're just respected for their uh, athletic abilities, for their for their ability, for whatever specific awesome ability that they have. Yeah, if the other players and also rappers think that you're tight, then like you are meant to be overrated. You know, <laughs> Kemba Walker. Yeah, to bring it back uh-huh. to the Kemba Walker fight I had on Twitter yesterday. Right. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter, just so everyone knows, someone on Twitter tried to try to say that. Kemba Walker was way better than Kyle Lowry and it wasn't even close. And it's like, oh my God, what? Dylan and I were both so very stupid. upset about that. But anyway, we're going to move on to number 28 on our list. And this is a wolf that, you know, I think has a special place in a lot of our hearts. Um, one of the better shooting guards in uh, Timberwolves history. And that's Trenton Hassel at number 28. He is tied for 35th. Uh, at, with peak impact among the likes of Andrew Wiggins, Zach Levine, Olua Candy. And a lot of this is just because he was on the 2004 team and they went, you know, he played a significant role on that team off the bench. Overall impact, though, he is at, he's got our lowest so far on this list. Not the lowest to make the top 31, but so far he's at 60 <laughs> for his overall impact. Um, and he's tied for 12th. Uh, with and tenure with uh, Christian Leitner, 
So the question is, why is Trent Hassel ahead of some other shooting, uh, another shooting guard who hasn't made this list yet is Latrell Sprewell and behind the likes of like a Fred Hoiberg? I mean, Latrell, Latrell's played small forward for the Timberwolves, but uh, yeah, one of those combo guards type of thing. Oh, I guess he did play small forward at that point. Yeah, next to yeah, Trent you, Hassel. So yeah, why did why is he above the likes of uh, Latrell Sprewell though? So Trent Hassel played four seasons with the Wolves, uh, starting about 82% of the games that he that he played. Um, he was at 28.7 minutes per game. Uh, his counting stats were 6.9 points per game, three rebounds per game, 2.1 assists. And in that time period, his value over replacement player was a negative 0.7. His box plus minus was a negative 2.3. Uh, but he did have 11.6 win shares, which is pretty significant as far as uh, uh, Timberwolves history goes. And then in the 2003-2004 playoffs as our starting shooting guard, he his advanced stats were actually pretty good. He was like the fifth best player on that team. Um, so his value over replacement player was 0.3, which put him at uh, fourth or fifth overall. His box plus minus was 0.7, which put him at fifth. And he had uh, 0.8 win shares. You know, and in the playoffs, that makes sense because it's your percentage of a win. And so since they only played 18 games, you know, 0.8 is, uh, if you were to extrapolate that over a whole season, it would look more normal and, and pretty positive. Yeah. He was the the fifth best player on the best Timberwolves team of all time and also played four full seasons with the Wolves starting almost every game. So his longevity and his ability to be, uh, I mean, really a non-negative player on the best team it's really important defensively yeah too he was he was really he was a really really solid defender so he always that's that 2003-2004 season he had a 0.9 defensive box plus minus um, which ranked uh third on the team um so he was one of the better defenders on that team absolutely and again he was right there in the top three for in the playoffs for defensive box plus minus if you are a starter on the best Timberwolves team of all time, you belong on this list. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. And he might even belong higher. I mean, some would argue that he is more important than Hoiberg because he just played so much, had so much more volume of play for the Wolves in terms of regular season and in terms of postseason. He was he was our starter. But if you look at those 2003-2004 playoffs, I mean, Hoiberg, just to go back to it, Hoiberg was like was second in box plus minus and he was third in vorp and he was fourth in wind shares so he was Mm -hmm. just clearly the better player in in much much less time like even in the accumulative stats like wind shares and vorp he was ahead of trenton hassel so he made the most of his time he was a more positive impact on the game than trenton hassel in less minutes um so that's why he ended up behind Fred Hoiberg. And why is he ahead of Sprewell? I mean, Sprewell here in the playoffs played really well. But Sprewell only played two seasons for the Wolves. And his second season for the Wolves Bad. was abysmal. My comp for Trenton Hassel is Bruce Brown of the Pistons, uh, who is like a 6'4", 6'5", shooting guard. You know, kind of played a little bit of point guard for... The Pistons this year because they were just riddled with injuries, um, which I could see Trenton Hassel being able to do a little bit of the ball handling too, you know, on a bad team, um, but primarily a, a defense first player. 
Absolutely. My comp for him was, and this is not 100%, this doesn't have 100% to do with his abilities, but it's Robert Covington. And the reason for that, again, Robert Covington was an incredible defender. Trent Hassel was an above average defender, but he was very close with Kevin Garnett. Trent Hassel was. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Robert Covington was so close with Carl Anthony Towns. I just see their roles as being somewhat similar. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe even Trenton Hassel is like a Josh Akogi type. You know, he's just really that that defensive two, three that, uh, you know, whose main job is to lock down the best ball handler or perimeter player. Definitely in terms of his basketball skill. I was just talking about in terms of his personal relationship right. with the uh, leader of the team. All right, so that's that's Trenton Hassel. We're going to move on to number 29. We're coming to the end of this list, Dylan. Number 29 is a real a real favorite of mine, and I, I think yours, too. He played so long for the Timberwolves, and that is Corey Brewer. You, you, you. Corey Brewer was an incredibly awkward NBA player. His peak impact for the Wolves was number 76, and as Chalanga said in his onomatopoeia that he wrote down on our breakdown, Ouchie! <laughs> And his overall impact was ranked 61st. Ouch! His tenure, however, was 11th. He played a a lot of games and a lot of minutes for the Timberwolves. He scored 51 points in a game for the Timberwolves. Chalanga, that ranks third all-time, tied with Kevin Love. Behind Carl Anthony Towns and Mo Williams, he scored more points in a game than Kevin Garnett. Yeah, that's the thing about KG. He was never that like big time, super duper scorer. He just consistently scored between twenty and thirty. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> the thing that I remember the most about Corey Brewer is that he was so streaky. When I went to Timberwolves games, I was like, "Who is Corey Brewer? Is he the best player in the National Basketball League?" And the NBL? Are you going to NBL games, Dylan? I've been, I've been going to NBL games in my spare time. But he is he the best player in the National Basketball Association? And the answer is, Chalanga, surprisingly, the answer is no. No. He is not the best. I didn't remember him for this, but he was a stout defender. I didn't remember him for any of that. But, of course, in 2011, I wasn't watching... I wasn't watching NBA defense at all. All I was watching was, who is that guy who keeps driving to the basket and getting points for himself? Who's the guy who shoots a half-court shot with his eyes closed and makes it, and yet somehow every other game, he can't make a shot for shit? <laughs> um, and that's that's Corey Brewer, baby. I mean, he helped lead the Clippers in Game 6 in 2016, I think it was. When the Clippers were leading 3-2 and the Clippers were up in game six by 19 points, he helped lead that comeback along with Josh Smith. And there's nothing more Corey Brewer than that. Get James Harden on the bench and let Corey Brewer lead your team to victory. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I will say, so as far as Corey Brewer as a defender, there are only two seasons that he had in the NBA where he had a negative defensive box box plus minus and there are uh i think i just don't remember it because he didn't put up stats like right. he never put up rebounds right. as he was the s- second worst forward rebounder in timberwolves history 
But yeah, so I, I think he was just probably just good at defending his guy and maybe good with uh, help defense. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And then just to just to pair that with his offensive skill, there was not a single season that he had in the NBA where he had a positive offensive box plus minus. So, <laughs> yeah. His peak season with the Wolves was 2013-2014, where he scored 12.3 points per game, a whopping 12.3 points per game, a whopping 2.3 rebounds. And an incredible 1.7 assists per game. Uh, he did have 1.8 steals per game, so that's pretty good. I, I guess he did know how to pick the pocket of the guys he was defending. But some good stats. I wanted to do some actual superlative stats for Corey Brewer. He was 14th amongst all Wolves in defensive win shares, and he is 19th in defensive box plus minus. He's third in defensive block box plus minus if you include a minimum of 6,000 minutes behind KG and Rubio. So that's like two... He played 9,000 minutes. 6,000 minutes is like two two seasons started or like three to four seasons off the bench. role player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he was a great Timberwolves defender. He might be top... He's probably a top 10 Timberwolves defender. Yeah, I think so. That that 2000... 13-14 13-14 season, he had a 1.5 defensive box plus minus, which was just behind Ricky Rubio. And the Wolves went 40-42, and 42, so he wasn't a total loser. I mean, he won that Houston game, the incredible comeback game, and he went 40-42 and 42 with the Wolves. He was... I remember him as being like a detriment to the team, but he was actually not. He was a solid wing player. Yeah, so I kind of rationalized him making this list as, like, when his tenure was long, he played, you know, five seasons with the Wolves, which is significant. On and off, too, because he he left and went to Dallas. Yep, and Denver for a little bit. And then he came back for one season with the Wolves, that 2013-2014 season, which that, that team... Was it, it, still to this day is the second best non Kevin Garnett team. So we've got the Jimmy Butler team that finished forty seven and thirty five, and this team finished forty and forty two, which is like far and away the second best record outside of the KG era. And he started just about every game for that team. Uh, he played eighty one games of the eighty two, and he was probably the fourth best player. Um, definitely like the best perimeter defender, the most versatile perimeter defender. Uh, Ricky Rubio had a really good defensive season that year. He had a 1.7 defensive box plus minus, but Corey Brewer's defensive versatility was really key to that team. He may have been the third or fourth best player on the second best non-KG Timberwolves of all te- uh, Timberwolves team of all time, which is a huge honor. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> bad at all <laughs> so i just found out today that Corey brewer was a 2010 2011 nba champ oh. i didn't know that yeah he, he was on the I dallas didn't know team he played on the yeah. dallas team but he didn't play in the finals okay so that makes sense <laughs> that's why i don't remember that but that dallas team very deep i wonder if Corey brewer was hurt anyway so my comp for Corey brewer i'm gonna compare Corey brewer to Corey baxter from Corey in the house he was just he had an awkward awkward body that he just did not fit into which is why I also compared him to a baby giraffe. The way that he would just run lankily, is that a word? Yeah, I just made it up. That's a, lo- that's a word. Down the court. <laughs> he's just so funny and you never would he's the most unsuspecting NBA superstar. Like if he didn't have the super long body that he is, he's just so lanky and unathletic looking. 
Tulanga, do you have any better comps than that? Um, Giannis's rookie season, just so long and uncoordinated. <laughs> no, Giannis's Greek season. Yeah, Giannis. Anyway, sixteen-year-old Giannis. <laughs> that was a that was a terrible, terrible comp, Chalanga. Um, oh, but it was on the spot, so I don't blame you. Another terrible, terrible pick in this top thirty-one Timberwolves player. Thirty-one Timberwolves for thirty-one years. We are at number thirty now. We're almost done. Don't worry, listeners. We'll get you home safely. But here we have Joe Smith. Wait, Dylan. Ugh. Dylan, do you hear what? something? Beep, what? Beep, I don't hear beep, that. Beep, no. Beep, 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 no. It's a fan No. I couldn't bear us Chilling talking I about Joe Smith. I wanted to talk about Joe Smith. No, 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 no. You no one's talking talk about, about Joe Smith, Smith here. <laughs> no one is talking about Joe Goddamn Smith. We're bringing in a player that we actually want to talk about, and that is number 67 himself from PS67 in New York, New York. That's Taj Gibson. Mm. So Your favorite Timberwolf of all time, maybe? I, f- I fuck with Taj Gibson super Let's hard. So Taj, Just say it. He's your favorite of all time. He's up there. He's up there. I'm not going to say it, but he's up there. So originally, Taj Gibson r- ranked 34th. He's uh, 26th in peak impact, 25th in overall impact, but only 52nd in tenure because he only played those two seasons with the Wolves. And being in the 30s as he is, we could we could bump him up four positions. Yeah, so, so we, we bop, decided bop, to bop, take bop, advantage. Bop. Let's bring him in here. Um, he was a super efficient player for the Timberwolves. He was second all-time in effective field goal percentage, only behind Fred Hoiberg. He was third in true shooting percentage behind Hoiberg and Towns, all-time with the Wolves. Um, among players who played two seasons with the Wolves, so I, 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 did, a, I did a search on basketball reference uh, <laughs> for players who played between 100 and 200 games. So essentially two seasons, two mostly full or full plus seasons with the Wolves. And he was fourth in win shares behind Sam Cassell, Michael Williams, and Tyrone Corbin. He was ahead of the likes of Chauncey Billups, Fred Hoiberg, Stefan Barbary. And because he was so... <laughs> he was ahead... Wait, no. He wasn't ahead of Stefan Marbury. He was ahead of Stefan Marbury win shares. <laughs> I don't believe you. Dude, go look it up. Stefan Mar- Marbury <laughs> no, was... Chilling, I'm joking. Okay, okay. okay. Stefan Marbury sucks. He was really bad. We've established. Um, and then he was 12th all-time in win shares per 48. So his efficiency... All-time. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. And he was also responsible for one of the greatest moments in Timberwolves history when the Wolves made the playoffs uh, in 2018 after a 14-year playoff drought. Uh, I was at that game. Jokic was was on fire. He was just cooking towns. And the game was super close. There was like four minutes left in regulation. And Jokic hit two shots right over towns. And then Tom Thibodeau, God rest his soul, switched uh, Taj Gibson onto Jokic for the rest of the game. And Jokic went 0 for 6 from that point on. Taj had had two steals against Jokic and a block and just completely shut him down. The Wolves won that game. How many fouls did he have on Jokic? Like none. 3,000? Okay, well... None that were called, but he was he was really just he was beating Jokic up. It was it was pretty funny. They they weren't he calling went, anything. He got that total two thousands trailblazers on him. Yeah, I mean, but Taj Gibson is respected as hell in the league as as a defender and as oh, like yeah. as like a righteous stand up guy. And so uh, of course he's gonna get the benefit of the doubt. And like Jokic outweighs him by probably 30, 40 pounds. So like, and is probably two inches taller than Taj too. So. 
you know, Jokic isn't isn't going to get that benefit of the doubt. But because Taj was just so efficient in his Timberwolves career, he helped uh, get the Wolves back to the playoffs after 14, 14 seasons. I just felt like he had to be on the Suck this. it, Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, suck it, Nuggets. Although they're going to be in the playoffs for a long time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just had to, I had to get him in this list because I, I love him and I wanted a chance to talk about his beautiful shiny bald head. Good. Let's move on. All right. I don't want to. He, he, we don't need a comp for him. All right. He could guard anybody. So number thirty-one uh, is uh, AK forty-seven himself, Mr. Andre Kirilenko. Whoa, whoa, I'm actually, whoa, 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 whoa! No, 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 no! No more White Kings, Chalanga. No, please. Yeah, I'm yeeting Latrell Sprewell straight to position thirty-one. And guess what? I'm breaking all the fucking rules to do this, and that's because our system is 100% broken. It's flawed, motherfuckers. Latrell Sprewell was the second best player in the 2003-2004 playoffs in the best Timberwolves team of all time. He was not that good in the regular season, which is why our system kind of underrated Latrell Sprewell. That and the fact that he was so bad in the next regular season as well. So Latrell Sprewell's peak impact is 27th, which is pretty good. Not amazing. No, He was no Andre Kirilenko in peak impact. But his <laughs> overall impact is 38th, still not very good, tied with Troy Hudson. Yikes. And his tenure was 42nd because he only played a measly two seasons with the Timberwolves, the last two seasons of his career. His original ranking was 41, but I had to put him 10 positions higher to make him the 31st greatest Timberwolf of all time. You're welcome, America. You're welcome, Minneapolis. You're welcome, Timberwolves fans. I got him in there. We have a perfect ranking system, obviously. And uh, here's for more on Sprewell. He was the second best player in the playoffs, but he was only the third or fourth best player during the regular season behind Hoiberg and Sam Cassell and obviously KG. He had a higher usage than Fred Hoiberg, but he was a lot less efficient his second season with the wolves he took a huge dip as we talked about before he was the six or seven best player the timberwolves missed the damn playoffs that was t- kevin shame. garnett was angry it was the beginning of the end mm-hmm. of our franchise the beginning of the dark ages of the wrath of Khan. i mean i guess uh kevin McHale was still our gm at the time but the wrath of Khan would begin in 2008 2009 somewhere around there somewhere around there his counting stats were pretty good. He had 16.8 points per game in 2003-2004, 3.8 rebounds, 3.5 assists per game. But his advanced stats, his VORP was only 1.3, ranked fourth, as we said before. His box plus minus, negative 0.3, ranked fourth. 5.7 win shares, which was fourth. But that's actually pretty good for a Timberwolf, 5.7 win shares. Yeah, that's, that's like... That's solid. I mean, that's the best team. That, that was the, the best record they ever had. And so, of course, you know. But in the playoffs, he bumped it up. He was at 19.8 points per game, almost 20 points per game mm-hmm. score. 4.4 rebounds per game, four assists per game. And he was second in VORP. Second, tied for second in box plus minus with 3.1 with Fred Hoiberg, and second in win shares, 1.6 win shares in the playoffs. He was a serious problem. Yeah. And I think that's where most Timberwolves fans remember him is just in those playoff series. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Latrell, for that. If only we had Rasha Nesterovich and Chauncey Billups, though, to lead us to the championship. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> now, 
getting to that 2004-2005 abysmal season, he had 12.8 points per game, 3.2 rebounds per game, 2.2 assists per game. He had a VORP of negative 0.3. That's difficult to have a negative VORP, especially as a player who was as accomplished as Sprewell early on yeah, in his career. Yeah, a former all-star. Oh, it was sad to see the end of his career. Negative 2.4 box plus minus. Uh, tied for six on the team with Troy Hudson. <laughs> Who had no knees at that point in all defense to Troy Hudson. I wanted to see Troy on this list, but we just couldn't get him up there. He was, I think, ranked 36. 1.9 win shares, which ranks him seventh on the team. I mean, he was just, just, just old. Chalanga, who was your comp for Latrell Sprewell? You know, he played an aggressive game. He he really pushed the ball up. He he could handle. He could shoot out of the mid-range. He could get up and dunk it. Um, so I kind of compared him to, uh, to like, uh, Russell Westbrook light. So obviously nowhere near as good as Russell Westbrook, but the way that he could rebound from his, like, lead guard type position, um, his on-ball defense, which Russell Westbrook gets a lot of flack for his defense, but he's actually, a like, the eye test tells me that he's a pretty good defender when he's engaged. So... Um, a similar type of like aggressive attacking game as Russell Westbrook. I love that. I love that Russell Westbrook could have played small forward in some other universe as well. I mean, just because of his aggression, his ability, he could have been a Josh Okogie if he wanted to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he's kind of he's basically playing power forward for the Rockets at this point. <laughs> you know, like he's, yeah, he's uh, just driving and kicking. He's playing their Giannis role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another reason why Latrell Sprewell isn't on this list is that I, from all that we can tell, he was not exactly a great teammate to have. He was not a, a good person to play with. Not the most lovable um, guy. So I, this didn't happen on the, on the Wolves, but I think it's just important to remember that this did happen. Um, this is pulled straight from Wikipedia. So a significant blemish on Sprewell's career was an incident that took place on December 1st, 1997, when he attacked head coach P.J. Carlissimo during a Warriors practice. When Carlissimo yelled at Sprewell to make a to make crisper passes, specifically asking him to put a little mustard on a pass, <laughs> Sprewell responded that he was not in the mood for criticism and told the coach to keep his distance. When Carlissimo approached, Sprewell threatened to kill him and dragged him backwards by his throat, choking him for seven to ten seconds before his teammates and assistant coaches pulled Sprewell off his coach. But folks, it doesn't end there. Sprewell returned about 20 minutes later after showering and changing and again accosted Carlissimo. He landed a glancing blow at Carlissimo's right cheek before being dragged away again by the assistant coaches. Oh my Can you believe God. this, Dylan? Like, <laughs> this guy was crazy. That wasn't I, even I don't know his if y'all first know violent incident with the Warriors, Chalanga. In 1995, Sprewell fought with teammate Jerome Kersey and returned to practice carrying a two-by-four <laughs> and <laughs> reportedly threatened to return with a gun. I hope then, it was a nail gun for that two-by-four. Dude, in 1993, Sprewell fought Byron Houston, who was 50 pounds heavier than Sprewell and had what many teammates described as a Mike Tyson-like demeanor and physique. (laughs) So I I think that we can say that uh, Latrell Sprewell had some um, anger issues. Is that fair to say? In the slightest. P.J. Carlissimo, one of the gooberiest-looking guys in the NBA in terms of anybody, head coach or non-head coach, I just... It's unbelievable what, what Sprewell 
was willing to do well, the lengths he was willing to go to just to be mad at somebody. Wacky. <laughs> so Dylan, that was our that was our list. All thirty one blessed uh, best Timberwolves, greatest Timberwolves of all time. And you know, our last episode, our longest episode. But before we leave, let's just talk about some of our issues because we acknowledge, um, just like I'm sure many of you listeners have acknowledged that this list is a little bit flawed. And so, Dylan, do you want to talk about some some of the issues that we had? Yeah, I think our our, our rankings from one to almost twenty felt pretty good, but then at some point, players that we had maybe expected weren't showing up. So, like Andrew Wiggins, but and Latrell Sprewell was the big one. And to go back to Latrell Sprewell, the playoffs are not properly rated in our system. We need to figure out how to get the playoffs to be weighted in our system to the point that like how could we weight them properly to the point that we give someone credit for showing up in the playoffs but but at the same time we don't give them equal credit to somebody like Latrell Sprewell who played an, an incredible three playoff series is one great playoff performance more important than four playoff appearances you know exactly. that's kind of that's kind of the issue that was raised so Latrell does need to be hurt by his terrible second season with the Wolves, but he needs to be given some sort of, uh, you know, uh, boost with the with the point system for being the second best player in the playoffs during the greatest playoff run in Timberwolves history. And so we're working to figure out how we can properly rate someone like Dean Garrett, who went to four playoffs, but didn't necessarily play a significant role in most of them. He really only had one good playoff series and they got swept that year. And so there needs to be a way to weight someone who does an amazing job in the playoffs. But it's difficult to combine playoff and regular season numbers. Yeah, so basketball reference, it's impossible to get totals of like VORP or get totals of win shares to include the playoffs. And I'm not even sure if that's the right way to do it either because regular season and playoffs are so separate. But I don't know how to do it exactly yet uh, without overrating or still underrating the value of people of these guys in the playoffs. Yeah. But it's something that we can think about for our next podcast when we do this for maybe a different team. Yeah. Maybe the Lakers. Um, and then our last thing is that centers seem to be overrated. Uh, we use advanced stats to bad kind of centers calculate. seem to be overrated. Not yeah, good bad centers. centers. Because I, I think that advanced stats oftentimes sort of lean toward uh, lower usage, efficient types of players. Um, and especially defensive types of players. And so a low-usage defensive center is more likely to have higher advanced stats than, you know, someone who is, like, driving an offense. <coughs> Joe um, Smith. Yeah, like Joe Smith, Ray <laughs> ranked over Stefan Marbury. Or, or not... Yeah. Over... He did rank over Stefan um, Marbury in our initial ranks. In our initial, which is just, like... Crazy. That that needs to be fixed. That <laughs> that that piece of it needs to be fixed. And before we go, one more thing is that we have some honorable mentions. I know we've shouted him out a lot in this series, but Troy Hudson, our dude, ended up ranking 37th on our list. He was 26th all-time in minutes played, 13th all-time in assists, and stepped up in a big way. 2002, um, 2003. Yep, he stepped up in a really big way. Uh, I wanted to shout out um, one of our white kings, uh, Luke Ridenauer. <laughs> Uh, 25th in minutes played uh, in franchise history and 14th all-time in assists. So actually super comparable numbers to Troy Hudson when you look at them side by side. And he had um, he had really good uh, advanced stats. I mean, he was just a very positive player. Super positive player. And finally, one of my favorite Timberwolves of all time. No. You know, 
Dylan said it was Taj, but it might be this guy, Shabazz Muhammad, baby, no. um, who ended up ranking 41st. So he was pretty low, but he had a really big impact on on my heart um, with the Timberwolves. He, I mean, he was terribly efficient. His peak impact was uh, 72nd. <laughs> And his overall impact was 68th. So he was pretty bad. Uh, but he had that 35-point game against the, the Warriors where he, he had w- that just... 35-point game. That's great. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was it was amazing. I was watching that game live. It was Carl's rookie season, and Shabazz just went off. And we beat um, them that game. We beat them that game. We were one of... Uh, ten teams or whatever. Ten teams to beat them that season. Nine teams to beat them that season. So yeah. okay. it was pretty tight. Yeah, that was pretty tight. But Shabazz Muhammad, honestly, might be, because of his shooting inefficiencies and defensive woes, the worst, single worst Timberwolf of all time. And because of how long he was on the Timberwolves, he might yeah, be... Yeah, as far as his impact goes, you know. <laughs> the worst, yeah, he might have had the, the absolute worst impact on the Timberwolves of all time. I'm interested to see how tenure plays, it, how tenure shows up on teams with better players and, and like a better history and i feel like the other thing about the timberwolves we had so many players that played only two seasons or three seasons there weren't a lot of players who played five or six so like i think shabazz muhammad gets a lot of tenure points in that because he just happened to be there for more than three seasons right 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 i have some errors for us chalanga dylan hit us with those errors gorgie jang as I was talking about before, I, I brought it up a little bit earlier on in this podcast. He played only 778 minutes for the Wolves this season, and therefore he was disqualified from using his 1.8 box plus minus. That moved him from 18th in peak impact to 20th in peak impact. This didn't change any rankings except in this episode. Thank God. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to redo all of these podcasts, Chalinga, so much. Dean Garrett moved ahead of Rosho, and Terry Porter broke his tie with Tony Campbell to, to get ahead of him. And I think that both of those feel like fair fair bumps and points. Thank you so much for listening to the Coast to Coast NBA podcast. Don't forget, if you don't like our rankings, if you think we're idiots, or if you think we're awesome, send us an email at coasttocoastnbapod at gmail.com. And we're awesome. We Both can idiots. exist. We've never pretended to be experts. We are fans, and we are stupid. We are Schrodinger's idiots. And we love it. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Coast to Coast MBA, uh, on Instagram at Coast to Coast NBA Pod, and please, for the love of God, download and rate and review. Yeah. Look, we're we're back. We're we're put some mustard we're shout- on that download. Yeah, put some mustard in it, Dylan. If you don't, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not in the mood to not be rated and reviewed, and I will choke you out for seven to ten seconds and then graze your right <laughs> cheek if you don't rate and review our podcast. Um, we're I'm excited for the right cheek graze. We're sheltering in place, so we're back with some content for the time being. Uh, we're going to be back with the Lakers doing the same process again, and hopefully it's just going to get better and better and better. <laughs> or worse and worse and worse. Yeah, we'll see. More and more of a Gabraithian dumpster fire. All right, I am going to go play some real basketball now, Dylan. I love you. Tony B., you know what you did. Bye.